Well, good morning again, Taylor's family. What a great opportunity we've had this morning to worship together, to focus our minds and our hearts uh, on the Lord, and to come together in spirit, uh, unified, uh, even from our different places where we're viewing this online, to have that feeling that we really are together, walking together through this time and celebrating God's goodness together through these times of worship. And as always, I want to thank those who are leading us in worship, uh, for Kevin and Scott and all of the worship team and all those who lead us every every week. And thank you for participating in the worship as well. I hope you did there uh, in your own home. Uh, This morning, I I sort of want to continue with the theme we started with last week. And I want to continue to talk a little bit about hope. And if you have your message guide with you, you can read the introductory paragraph there where I talked a little bit about hope and its power in our lives. But I want to approach it this morning a little bit differently. And I want to start with a question. What is the hardest thing in the Bible for you to believe? Now, that's a question if we ask cynics or non-believers, they would probably come up with a variety of answers. Some would say, well, you know, I don't believe in the Genesis account of creation, the fact that some God somewhere just spoke the Word and in seven days created everything that there is. That's impossible. You know, the, what we find here on this planet requires billions and billions of, of uh, years of evolutionary process to get where we are today. So there'd be folks, non-believers and cynics and skeptics who would have a hard time believing the Genesis account of creation. Or perhaps the great flood in the days of Noah, they would say, I don't believe that. I don't believe floodwaters ever covered the entire earth or that God somehow judged the entire planet. I just don't believe that. Or maybe some would struggle with uh, Moses and the exodus from Egypt, some of the great plagues that devastated that nation, or the miracle where God's Old Testament people crossed over the Red Sea uh, or crossed the Red Sea on dry land. And then, of course, there are always those who point to the story of Jonah and the big fish and who would just completely deny the possibility, even the plausibility of something like that happening. Or if you come to the New Testament, you find many of the miracles of Jesus there, whether it was turning water into wine or uh, raising someone from the dead like Lazarus or walking on water. A lot of people outside of the faith have trouble with those kinds of things. But for those of us who believe in an all-powerful, sovereign God, those kinds of things generally don't give us a lot of trouble. We accept those things by faith. But what about something that is hard for us to believe as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, as the people of God? Well, as I think about that, I think of one particular verse. And as we think about just the challenge of everyday living, the ups and downs of life, the pressures and the problems of life, the headaches and the heartaches of life, I think this one verse, perhaps more than any other, uh, if we're honest, we sometimes have some difficulty in really believing. And I'm talking about the verse that you find there at the top of your message guide, a very well-known verse found in the book of Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. And so I want to read that for us this morning, Romans 8, 28. And I'll read part of verse 29 as well because that's important for really understanding the full meaning of this verse. But the Apostle Paul writing says, And we know that in all things 
God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. So as we begin to look at this together this morning, let me, let me lead us in prayer. And you pray with me, asking God to give you insight and discernment into the truth of His Word. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for this opportunity to come together again this morning. Thank you for this family of faith, for Taylor's First Baptist Church, for all those who serve it so faithfully ministry staff, support staff, administrative assistants, all those who take care of our facilities, and Lord, all those who give each and every day uh, to make possible what we're able to do here. And for each member uh, in each home, for each person who is uh, watching today, whether they're a member of Taylor's First Baptist or not, Lord, I pray that you will use these moments to speak to each one of us, reveal your truth to us, give us hope and in encouragement, and joy as we live this earthly existence every single day. And Lord, I thank you for a verse like the one we're going to look at today. And I pray that you'll use it to help us understand in a better way what it really means to be your people and to walk in a faith relationship with you. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Romans 8, 28 is, is one of those amazing verses in Scripture, an incredible promise. And for me anyway, what gives it even greater significance and even deeper meaning is to realize that the man who wrote it, the Apostle Paul, was a man who certainly understood things like pain and suffering and disappointment and discouragement, persecution. All of those things were his lot in life. As a matter of fact, by the time he wrote Romans 8, 28, he had already been imprisoned in Philippi. He had been chased out of Thessalonica. He had to be smuggled out of Berea. He had been laughed at in Athens. He had been whipped and beaten, stoned, left for dead. So here's a man who understood well pain and suffering, and yet there was something that kept him going. There was something that kept him encouraged and positive and kept him moving forward no matter what life threw at him. And certainly a part of that is what we find in these words that he penned here in Romans 8.28 when he says, And we know that all those who love God, who are called according to His purpose, that God is always working all things out together for their good. Now, when we look at a verse like this and we try to determine exactly what it means... This might be one of those opportunities that we have to understand what it means better by first looking at what it doesn't mean. So what does Romans 8.28 not mean when Paul says, we know that God works all things out together for the good of those who love Him and who are the called according to His purpose? Well, let me share a couple of things with you that this verse does not mean. First of all, this verse does not mean that all things are good. Hopefully we recognize this already and that's not some flashbulb moment for you. All you've got to do is uh, read the newspaper headlines, uh, tune in to the cable news networks, listen to the radio, uh, surf the internet, and you'll see that there are all kinds of terrible and tragic things going on in our world. Lives are being lost. Uh, businesses and homes are, are, are being destroyed. Uh, you've got 
all kinds of crime that's going on. Uh, you've got families that are in crises. And then, you know, you've got this major health pandemic that we're dealing with today as well. And so you look at all of these things and hopefully you understand that not all things are good. Have you ever asked the question, why in the world are things so bad? Why are things the way that they are? Why do we have to go through this kind of pain and suffering and disappointment and hurt, heartache, bereavement, disruption of relationships, all these kinds of things. Why do bad things happen in our world? Well, bad things come our way basically for one of two reasons. Number one, they come to us either because of our own folly, our own mistakes, or the mistakes and the folly of other people. For example, we overspend. Uh, we get into debt, and therefore we suffer because uh, we can't get out of debt. Or we overeat, or we don't eat well, and we ruin our health, and we suffer from that. Or we make poor relationship choices, and so we compromise our marriages, and we end up with families that are uh, disrupted and destroyed. Or you know, we, we give in to the pressure of the culture and, and we get involved in things like alcohol or drug abuse or those kinds of things. And we, we reap the consequences of those things. The Bible is very clear that says God is not mocked. Whatever you sow, you're also going to reap. And so a lot of the bad things that happen to us in this life uh, happen to us because we make foolish choices. We make mistakes or other people. Uh, make foolish choices or mistakes. They don't pay attention when they're out in an automobile and they cause an accident and someone gets injured or killed and then there are repercussions that last sometimes for years because of things like that. But there's also another reason why there's so much pain and suffering and disappointment and hurt in our world today and that is simply because of the fact that sin continues to plague us as human beings on this earth. Our sin... Uh, the sin of, of other people. Uh, man chose to rebel. We chose to disobey the Word and the will of God. And every time we do that, uh, we suffer. And creation suffers as well. Our, our whole world, Scripture says, is under a curse because of sin and the natural disasters that we see in our world today and all kinds of other things like that that happen to us or that we see happening to other people here around us and around the world can all be traced back to the entrance of sin into the world. We live in an imperfect world and we live in the midst of imperfect people. Not because God made it that way, but because we made it that way by deliberately choosing to disobey God. Uh, and, and, and so... We, we have to deal with that, and, and there's just a lot of pain and a lot of suffering, a lot of disappointment in our world today. But a verse like Romans 8.28 comes along then and tells us that God's able to do something even in the midst of these kinds of difficult circumstances and situations. He's able to take all of the things in life, whether they're good whether they're bad, whether they're positive or negative, whether they're joyful or hurtful, God can take all of those things and in the lives of His children, 
He can manipulate those things to bring about our ultimate good. Now, we also need to understand, not only does Romans 8.28 not mean that all things are good, but it also doesn't mean that God works all things out together for the good of all people. Not everybody can get in on this promise. Not even every Christian or professing Christian can get in on this promise because there's some very clear clarifiers here to what Paul is saying. He says, God works all things out together for the good of those who, number one, love Him. Now, here's where we need to flow on into verse 29 because we need to understand what it means to love God. It's easy for us to say we love God. It's easy for us to to do that with our words, but what does it really mean to love Him? Well, Paul goes on in verse uh, 28 to talk about that those who love God are those who have been called according to His purpose. In other words, to love God really means to embrace His purpose for your life. It means for me to embrace His purpose for my life, not my purpose. It doesn't mean I can just say I love God and then live any kind of life I want to live. No, I must live my life in pursuit of God's purpose for me, vocationally, relationally, uh, in the way that I set my priorities, in the way that I chart the future of my life. I always need to be asking God, what is your purpose in this? How do the choices I make fit or not fit into your purpose? Because My purpose in life is to find God's purpose for my life and then to walk in that purpose and pursue that purpose. And so that's what it means to love God. It means to be embracing His purpose. Now, now what's His greater purpose? Well, Paul goes on here, and here's where verse 29 becomes important. It tells us that those whom God foreknew, He predestined to be what? Conformed, shaped, molded, fashioned into the very image of His Son. So that's His purpose. That's what God is trying to do. He's not trying to make us happy. He's not trying to meet our every whim and desire. Uh, He's not trying to make sure that everything in life always turns out exactly the way we think it ought to turn out or the way we want it to turn out. No, God's purpose for you and for me is much bigger, much more important than that. He desires to shape you and me so that our lives begin to reflect the very life of Jesus Christ. So, who does God work all things out for good for? Well, for those who love Him, and loving Him means embracing His purpose, and embracing His purpose means understanding that God wants to take all of these things in our lives, the good things and the bad things, and use them to shape us and form us and fashion us so that we become more like His Son, Jesus. That's what God's all about. That's what He wants to do in your life and in my life. And when we understand that, it gives us a whole different way of looking at life, the things that happen to us, whether they're good or bad. Understanding that God has a purpose much bigger than just our happiness that He's trying to work out. Now, there's a great Old Testament story that illustrates this fact. It's found in the book of Genesis, uh, begins there uh, in in about chapter uh, 37 and goes through the end of the book. It's the familiar story of Joseph. 
uh, and all that happened to him. Now you remember that Joseph's father, Jacob, had 12 sons. Um, however, he did something that no parent should do, and that is he showed favoritism toward one of his sons, and that was Joseph. And he, he made Joseph that multicolored coat. Uh, you know, his brothers knew that, that their father, Jacob, loved Joseph more, and they were jealous, and uh, they couldn't stand Joseph. And then Joseph had all those dreams uh, that didn't help very much, that, that as you take those dreams and flesh them out, basically showed his 11 brothers and his father bowing down to him, if you understand those dreams. And so they struggle with that. And so they grew to really hate Joseph. And you remember that uh, they took an opportunity one day uh, to sell Joseph into slavery. And then they went home and they told their father that he had been killed by a wild animal. So they did away with their brother Joseph. Um, he was later sold to a man by the name of Potiphar. There in Potiphar's house, he was falsely accused of something by Potiphar's wife. He ended up having to go to prison for quite a few years. Uh, finally, he, he was lifted out of prison. And if you know the story, he finally came to the point where he became the second in command over all of Egypt. Now, meanwhile, as all of this was happening, there was a great famine that was taking place in the land of, uh, of Joseph's family to Jacob and his 11 brothers, and they were running out of food. And the only place that had food now was Egypt. So uh, Jacob sent his sons minus Benjamin to Egypt to buy grain, and they ended up buying that grain from who? You remember, from Joseph. They didn't recognize Joseph, but Joseph recognized them. And so he accused them of being spies. He took the oldest, his oldest brother Simeon, threw him in jail. He sent the other brothers back to their, to their father Jacob and told them to come back with the youngest son, Benjamin. So the brothers went back to their father. They told him what had happened. And I want you to look here at what Jacob says in Genesis chapter 42, verse 36. Keeping this story in mind, here's what Jacob says. Jacob said to them, to his sons, You have deprived me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more, and now you want to take Benjamin. Everything is against me. Now here's a question. Have you ever said that? Have you ever said everything is against me? Have you ever felt like everything was against you? You see, if we can come to understand why Jacob understood or thought that everything was against him, then maybe we can get a little bit better handle on why sometimes we feel like everything is against us. Let me, let me give you four reasons why I believe Jacob felt this way. Number one, he felt like everything was against him because he only had a partial knowledge of the facts. See, he said, Joseph is dead, but he wasn't. <laughs> he said, uh, Simeon is dead, but he wasn't. He said, and now you're going to take Benjamin away from me. Well, that wasn't going to be the case. Benjamin was going to be given, actually, by Joseph, some very special privileges. But Jacob didn't know that. He didn't know what all was happening. He only had a partial knowledge of the facts. And a lot of times when we come to a point in life where we feel like saying, you know, everything, everything is just against me. Nothing's working out. 
We need to remember, no, God's working things out. We just have a partial knowledge of the facts and we need to make sure that we understand we don't know everything like God knows everything. We need to trust Him that He's working things out perhaps in a way that we cannot see. So, Jacob had a partial knowledge of the facts. That's one reason why he said all these things are against me. A second reason why he said all these things are against me is because, honestly, he had a defective memory. He had a defective memory. Uh, he, in the anguish of that moment, Jacob forgot all the things that God had done for him, how God had led and protected and blessed through all those years. He forgot the great promise that God had made to him that from his descendants he would raise up a great nation. He forgot all of that. Uh, the pain of the moment, the uncertainty of the moment, the difficulty of the, of the circumstances that he was facing led Jacob to say, all these things are against me. And he failed to look back and see how faithful God had been step by step by step. And that can happen to us too when we find ourselves in a difficult situation or circumstance. Uh, all the things that God has done for us in the past are meant to strengthen our faith and to trust us that even in the present, no matter how difficult it is, that God is working all things together for our good. And then a third reason why uh, Jacob said all these things are against me is because as a follower of Jehovah God, Jacob was really thinking illogically. He was thinking illogically. He knew better than to say all these things are against me because when he said that, he was limiting God. He was limiting what God could do. He was putting God in a box. He was saying, God, things here are beyond your control. Now, he knew better than that. But in the pain and anguish of the moment, he began to think illogically. And we can do that sometimes as well. You know, we know God loves us. We know God has our best interests at heart. We know that He's not out to get us. But when we find ourselves in the angst of the moment, the pain and the pressure of the moment, we can begin to think illogically like that and think that God can't handle what's going on. He can, and Romans 8.28 tells us that He is. And then a fourth reason why uh, Jacob said all these things are against me is because basically, at least in that situation, he had an untrusting heart. Uh, Jacob looked at the events as he saw them, as he saw them, and he said, all these things are against me. I want to remind you of a verse that you probably know, a couple of verses found in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. That's really important. Don't lean on your own understanding. Don't, don't interpret things through the lens of your own finite humanity, but instead in all your ways acknowledge God, acknowledge Him. And what does it say He'll do? He will direct your pathway. So when you lose that trusting heart in God, when you begin to lean on your own understanding, you're going to lose hope. Romans 8.28 reminds us that God is working all of those things out together for our good. If we love Him, if we're embracing His purpose for our lives, and if we're allowing Him to accomplish what He wants to accomplish in us more than anything else, and that is shaping us and forming us and fashioning us into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. So, 
Here's, here's a couple of things I want to close out with here, a couple of illustrations. Number one, um, there was a Reader's Digest story I read several years ago uh, about a sailor who was shipwrecked on a deserted island. Uh, it reminded me of the story of Castaway before Tom Hanks ever played that role. And Anyway, this, this sailor was on his boat. He got washed up on this beach and, you know, deserted area. And, uh, man, he struggled to find food. Uh, he struggled to build shelter, but he finally, after weeks and weeks, finally was able to construct a, a shelter out of, out, of, out of tree branches and leaves. A fairly nice one. He, he learned how to catch fish and, and forage for food and finally got himself set up fairly well there. It wasn't what I'd call comfortable. Uh, it was still a pretty bleak existence, but he was able to survive. And one day, uh, he was out on the other side of the island uh, foraging for food, and he looked back over to where he lived, that side of the island, and he saw thick smoke billowing up. And he went running back to where he had set up his shelter, and he found out there, unfortunately, that his cooking fire uh, had spread. The, the, the wind had blown the embers and caught his house on fire, burned up his clothes, burned up his food, burned up everything that he had, and he lost it all. And in absolute despair, he ran down to the beach and he just flung himself down in the sand and really just uh, sobbed and cried himself um, really to sleep. When he woke up later and got up and turned around and looked out toward the ocean, to his amazement, he saw a boat rowing in uh, and there were folks who were coming to rescue him. Now, he'd been there for weeks, even months. And so when these folks came up on shore, he asked them, how did you know I was here? I, I, you know, I tried to send signals. I tried to do everything and nobody knew I was here. And the person of the rescue party said, oh, we didn't know you were here either. If you hadn't lit that, that signal fire, we would have never known you were here. We would have gone right by. And so the thing that seemed to have brought the greatest disaster into this young man's life actually provided for his salvation. That's what God's able to do. And that's what He wants to do in your life and my life. He promises to take all of the things in our lives, the good, the bad, negative, positive, uh, the joyful, the hurtful. And if we love Him, if we embrace His purpose, if we're willing to say to Him, God, I want you to take all the affairs of my life and use them to make me more like your son Jesus, then He will do that. And He'll work all these things in your life out into a pattern of beautiful good. Let me close with this verse, Psalm 27, verse 4. It says this, Wait and hope for and expect the Lord. Be brave and of good courage and let your heart be stout and enduring. Yes, wait for and hope for and expect the Lord. He is working all things out together for your good. I hope that's been an encouragement to you today. And I want to invite you to join us as we continue to worship this morning. You lift your songs of praise and gratitude to God as we thank Him for His goodness and His love. And we'll see you here again next time. God bless you.